right, Walla, welcome back. Um, keeping up with uh, the cats it is currently February 4th, around uh, 3 o'clock p.m., and uh, we're back in action for the first time in a few weeks. Um, a lot's happened since we last met. Um, chiefly, uh, the NFL playoffs is uh, almost come to a conclusion here with the Bengals uh, in the uh, Rams meeting in uh, Super Bowl 56. But beyond that as well, uh, we have had a lot of new head coaching hires in uh, the NFL, as well as uh, the announcement of the NBA All-Star roster. So a packed show today. Glad to be back. How are we doing, you guys? Doing well. Good to be back. And uh, excited to talk about Villanova basketball because I'm interested to see what you guys have to say about them. Yeah, let's uh, let's yeah. just like start right there. Um, so I know like a good place to start, I think, would be the Marquette game at home, which, you know, was – the first, I think, I think it was the first Big East loss in the Finn since the most recent merger. So it's been, you know, our reign of dominance at home um, kind of came to an end in that game. Um, you know, throughout the, the entire pace of the game, I thought we were going to win just, just just because we have a tendency to play down to our competition, um, but we always find a way, I guess, to like pull it out. So to see us not do it in that um game and then to have us lose on that Justin Lewis three at the end uh, was kind of a heartbreaker. Um, I think it's almost good that we're getting these losses out right now. Um, I still have no idea how the AP is continues to give us as much credit as we get. Like we have five losses right now and we're the number 12 team in the country. Um, that to me is uh, a bit too much respect for us just because we haven't really beaten the top you know, 12 team this entire year. But um we, we haven't been as convincing lately. And I think that game was the first uh, game of a run that has kind of exposed that, like up and down our roster. I think we're far too reliant on Eric Dixon inside to kind of clean up misses from the perimeter. And I think, again, like I will say it again, I've mentioned this three times before, we just need to get to the rim more. We need to put pressure on the rim. Uh, like I know um, a big reason why we've been as successful as we have is because we control the pace of the game. but we continue to be one of the, you know, least fast break heavy teams in all of college basketball. Um, we have the athletes to do it, but it's just a matter of us being more aggressive on the offensive end. I don't know if you guys have also seen that, but yeah, that I think has been a trend that is pretty worrisome. Yeah, that one, the the home loss to Marquette is a little bit, and I don't know, I'm, I'm kind, of, I kind of mixed feelings about both the Marquette games. I've lost both of them, swept by Marquette for the first time since 2011, I think, um, which is just not you know, not a good trend, but it seems like, you know, the first game, it was just a completely ugly game that, I mean, 54-57, 85.7 offensive rating for the level, which is just pretty abysmal. And so playing that poorly, even when we probably still should have won the game at the end, I mean, you know, made a point we play down a lot to people. And sometimes if the game's close to the end, that'll kind of end that way. I think we probably should have had that game. The, the, the most recent game of Marquette uh, in which we, lost by kind of a, a more a larger margin was a little bit more worrying I mean I, I don't know Marquette shot you know 10 of 24 from three which is like 42 percent which is solid I, I think it's just exposing limitations of this Villanova basketball team like it, it can't really handle like explosive offensive performances in a way that maybe past teams could have um to the point where there might be just a ceiling on if the other team just has like a really good shooting night Villanova might just not be able to win those games sometimes um, and in the game last night, it seemed Marquette was able to impose 
its style of play a little bit more. I mean, you look, it was the highest paced game for Villanova this entire season. Um, it's the most recent game against Marquette, highest paced game. So it, it, Villanova likes the low pace. They win more often when it's a lower pace, it seems like. So, you know, they don't, don't handle the press very well either, I think. Um, so great shooting game for Marquette. I think that, I mean, I, I think this team's just kind of, you know, developing into what it is. Just a, a limited team that has a higher offensive ceiling than a defensive ceiling, even though it's relying more on its defense. Yeah, I, I agree with you guys. And, you know, the, the toughest thing to swallow is the idea of not winning the Big East this year. Um, that's something that I thought was a foregone conclusion heading into the season with, you know, two super seniors coming in and uh, a lot of good recruits, but two losses to Marquette. Um, it's not looking good for us to win the regular season of the Big East. We still got the tournament. Um, but, you know, I, I do like um, how Colin's been making his shots, especially from three. Um, he's averaging 45.7% from field goal and about 40% from three. Um, 42, give him a little more credit. But uh, I, I love to see him making his shots. I think that when he gets going, he inspires the rest of the crowd to get into the zone. But, you know, like what you were saying, Andrew, trying to get those losses out early, I feel like, you know, we have so many losses at this point. We just need some confidence. Like we need to bring, you know, we need to be in these tough lot games, like the first game against Marquette and hit a dagger three, like we did our freshman year um, against Kansas, like that type of momentum is what we need heading into the Big East tournament and against the double A tournament, that kind of mentality. And I have yet to see that yet. Um, but I know that they can get it rolling, but I'm, I'm worried. I'm worried. Um, and then also just to be fair, like I think we did respond pretty well to the loss against uh, Marquette at home. We ended up beating or like winning our next three games. Um, the most impressive win um, in that kind of threesome was for sure against uh, St. John's at home in which we held, uh, Julian Champagne to nine points. Um, that was the classic, uh, you know, Wildcat Jay Wright basketball game where we just completely controlled the pace, didn't turn the, the ball over and, and, and made threes. Um, it was pretty obvious that it's coming down to when we hit threes, we win. Like we, we, we beat St. John's because we shot 47.8% from three. And then we lost uh, to Marquette and we shot under 30% from three, uh, which was the most recent game. Um, but I think that trend, like I've said before, like teams that rely as heavily as we do on perimeter jump shooting, don't make it far into March because the best teams can take that away from you. Um, they can run you off the, the three point line and we don't have the big men nor the mentality to, to like establish ourselves down low. And I think that's going to come back to bite us, um, especially against teams uh, like even like Georgetown that always seems to have, you know, three, seven footers um, down low that we can't guard. I will say uh, the most important player recently has been Caleb Daniels. He's averaged over 15 points these last three games. Um, he's been in, in uh, double figures for most of this season. I think his presence and his ability to be a consistent shot maker, um, which like I, like I said, when you're supposed to be a, uh, a team that like relies on making shots from the perimeter. You have to have shot makers. He's one of them. I think behind Gillespie, he's probably the next guy I would want taking a three to win the game, even over Justin Moore. 
Moore does way more on the court uh, than Daniels does, but his ability to consistently challenge teams from the three-point line and actually make shots at a high clip um, has been um, so big for us this season to not fall even further than we have, um, just because behind him on the wing, we don't really have a lot of reliable options outside of Brian Antoine, who isn't a shooter, um, as well as Chris Archidiakono. But, um, you know, this this next weekend, this game against UConn is just monumental. It's the biggest game of the season, I think, by a wide margin. Um this is the best team in uh, the Big East outside of us. I would probably say I would say that they're better than um, Marquette talent-wise. Uh, you know, Providence has an argument for that as well. But um, I think you know, winning this game at home is just so important because after this, we go to St. John's, which is a very hostile place to play. Um, we then host Seton Hall, who we always play down to the wire, and then it's you know back to Providence. So I think taking care of business against. UConn at home is going to be a huge win, not only for our confidence as a team, but for bracket makers in March, because the more top 25 wins we can continue to rack up, the higher chance we have of avoiding that like dire number five seed that always has to play the number one seed in the round of uh, 32, or uh, sorry, uh, Sweet 16. Um, but also that 512 matchup has haunted us before. So the more wins we can get, the higher seed and the higher chance we make a deeper run in the March, but yeah, I just yeah, say one ahead. more thing. Sure. Do, do we think? Um, I was just thinking about they were you know listing off the short list for awards. I don't. It, do you guys think Colin Glossy will win the Bob Cousy Award this year? Like, I there aren't a lot of point guard like Max A. Smith, Antoine Davis are both like averaging more points, but from an impact point of view, I think Colin might be just up there. I uh, think he's definitely up there um, in terms of experience and stuff. Uh, there are guys that I think are going to be more heavily considered just because their teams are better. Like I know Ty Ty Washington from uh, Kentucky will be in there. Same with JD Davison from, from, uh, from Alabama. But I think the front runner is James Akinjo from Baylor. I could be wrong, but I don't see him listed on the, the short list here. At, I they, they may not consider him as a point guard. I, the list is where it has Javon Quinterly from Alabama. Um, I see Andre Cabello. Uh, Jeremy Roach. Um, I saw Kennedy Chandler on there as well, but I don't think he's right. I mean, he hasn't I, done I, enough. yeah, I don't see a lot of other players outside of Colin that, I mean, realistically, like, I mean, he's been in, in bad college basketball forever. He's having the best season of his career. I, I could see him winning the award this year. Just, I, yeah, injury. I mean, that's like the, the more that I think about it, like, the more I guess he has a case because if we win the Big East, I think he may even be the front runner <laughs> considering his stats this season. Um, what is he shooting like? 42% from three, 90 from the free throw line, like over 17 points a game. Yeah, I think he definitely has a case. And he's been a distributor. He's averaging about three assists a game. Not great, but not terrible either. Yeah, and they sure. also might like the story that he's coming back from such a horrible injury, you know. So that's, yeah. that's a factor too. Sure. All right, well, I mean, I like I said, like I think it's dumb for anybody to doubt Jay Wright when it comes to making sure his team's playing their best. Uh, like when it matters in March, I have no doubt that we're going to be able to pull it together. My concern, though, is like for those who consider us national title threats, like I think the gap between us right now and Auburn, the number one team in the country, is just so massive. Like, can you imagine, you guys, if we had to go up against Walker Kessler and Jabari Smith? Like, they would just, they would annihilate our front court because of their height and like versatility. So that's the kind of matchup that I think 
even if you know Jay works his magic and puts everyone in the right positions, like we just simply don't have the the guys and the horsepower to guard them. I, I just you know, it sucks. I think it'd be hard to score against Auburn. Like I it'd just be impossible. I God, that would not be a fun game for for Villanova. Do not think. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess uh, to transition a bit to the NBA, uh, the all-star rosters um, were released yesterday. Um, they are officially finalized barring injury replacements, uh, which I'm sure there'll be a few of. Um, I think a, a, a good way of like structuring this could be like going through like the guys that you expected to be there um, and guys that could, you know, win the MVP in the all-star game. And then also talking about the snubs that didn't make it, that deserved to make it. Uh, I guess a good way to, you know, kick off this conversation, I'll pose it to you guys. Uh, I think the fan vote has come into a lot uh, of, of criticism uh, recently uh, because of the fact that Andrew Wiggins is an all-star starter for the Western Conference, um, you know, over wings like Luka Doncic, Devin Booker, you know, vast uh, superior players that are now off the bench. Uh, because of the Warriors uh, PR team and fans kind of like voting him into that spot. Um, I, for one, think I'm conflicted because I think the All-Star game is at its core for the fans. Like it's all for the, the the publicity of the NBA. And I think the players, to be honest, would be fine just being named an All-Star. Like playing the actual game, I think, means very little to them. I think just the fact that they all in our – like getting that, that recognition, I think, is the most important for them. I, I think – the fact that Wiggins is an all-star is is an absolute joke. Like, if you look at the the uh, Western starters, it's LeBron James, Nikola Jokic, uh, John Morant, Steph Curry, and Andrew Wiggins. Like, it's just – it's insane. I uh, think it's bad for the game because I, I just think it, like, sets a precedent that fans can kind of dictate players' uh, legacies in that way. Um, it's a pretty small piece of a legacy, but it still, you know, matters. And um, I want to hear your, your guys' thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, the Andrew Wiggins story is kind of funny. I don't know if – I mean, it, I, I as, like, evaluating kind of the All-Star game as a piece of a legacy is kind of an interesting perspective to take, especially when you kind of look at all-time players. It's like how many All-Star appearances they have. And when you're looking at a micro level at an All-Star, it's like how – but, like, you're getting voted to All-Star game doesn't really matter that much. But it's kind of interesting how we extrapolate a game that doesn't matter at all into kind of these greater – points of meaning within a player's career, which is kind of interesting. But, yeah, the Andrew Wiggins story is kind of funny. I mean, from from what I understand, so 50% of the kind of – so the vote for who makes an all-star game, 50% of that is a fan vote. 50% of that is split between media and players. So what happened with Andrew Wiggins is there was a K-pop star who tweeted about Andrew Wiggins or something and was, like, really voting on him. And – like Andrew Wiggins became like the top trending thing on Twitter in like Thailand or something and just got a ton of votes from abroad and kind of ended up as a star. So I agree. It's weird too, because you have to have two front court player or three front court players and they don't consider Devin Booker as a front court player, which I think would have been the obvious other person. I mean, also kind of looking at like Rudy Gobert as well as a potential fit starter, I think would have fit better as well. But yeah, I mean, I, Andrew Wiggins, I don't think it's certainly does not belong uh, on the starting lineup here. Uh, I, I would definitely agree. And I think uh, Darius Garland is another interesting inclusion on the East side if we're kind of just talking about like, you know, players who kind of like shrug out a little bit. But 
yeah, the Andrew Wiggins was was a little strange, and I, I think it does get at that greater point of like, is the All Star game is that a, like how important is? I, I agree with what you guys are saying, and besides Andrew Wiggins, you look at the Western team, and it's it's just scary stacked. You know, you got Steph Curry, LeBron James, who's having you know another MVP like year, um, and then Jokic and John Morant. Um, and I am a huge fan of the all-star game. I'm not afraid to say it. I think it's so entertaining to see the greatest players at the game of basketball, even though they're not playing at their most competitive level, um, just to see them all on the floor together and just see the best version of the game of basketball that could possibly be put together uh, talent-wise, um, I think is very entertaining. Um aside from the, the uh, legacy piece that it has for, you know, the individual players. But, yeah, Andrew Wiggins is obviously the, the odd man out in that starting lineup. Um, but you look across the board, I, I'm going to be entertained. I don't know if they still have that um, – the rule where you play the game until, like, a certain number, like a certain score. I remember that a couple of years ago, in, uh, or it might have been last year, when Anthony Davis hit a free throw to end the game. I don't know what you guys – I think it's – I'm excited. I mean, I would kind of agree with that. I, I, I kind of like that structure because I, I, the game used to kind of just be a shootout and, and seems to be a little, like, slightly more competitive this way. I, I don't know. The, I can kind of just experiment with things in All-Star Game, I think, which it does make it fun sometimes. I I mean, there's some memorable moments in All-Star Game for me, like when Giannis just absolutely postered Steph, like, three or four years ago, the, like, the national anthem with, with who was that, like – uh, I don't know if y'all remember that. that. That was so funny. Oh my god, that was I iconic. still see those memes of, of everyone like trying not to die of laughter. Dude, oh my god. So yeah, I mean the All Star Game is a, a a fun time, and there's definitely some memorable moments. Yeah, I mean off that as Steph well. Curry. Like, sorry, go ahead. Pull up from. I was just gonna say, just seeing like Steph Curry pull pull up from like half court or even farther and just nail a shot um, for no reason. It's just in the middle of the game, not even a buzzer beater. I think it's yeah, for sure. I think like a big snub, like if we're going for East or for each conference team, I would definitely go with DeJounte Murray for the West. Like he's putting up insane numbers offensively, not insane, but all-star caliber numbers, like 19.6 points, 9.1 assists and eight and a half rebounds, two steals. And he does all that while also guarding the other team's best player. He's one of the best defensive players in the NBA. So his two-way game is pretty unique, and I think he definitely deserves a spot in the playoffs um, above a guy like a uh, like even Mitchell from from Utah, who's missed so much time with injury. And I think that is the biggest issue with the fan vote is like Andrew Wiggins wouldn't be an All-Star if not for the fan vote. And now we have a guy like Dejounte Murray, who was the product of just the amount of amazing guards in the West not being able to be part of like the team I think like it sucks because he deserves it so much more than Andrew Wiggins um but I'll say it Anthony Edwards could definitely be in this discussion like he is one of the most electric players in the entire game right now uh and the Timberwolves are a good team we're like two games over 500 um he's averaging 22.3 points a game um shooting 36 percent from three um he's also been a good rebounder he averages five rebounds a game like his stats are leading to wins, and I think he could definitely be in that discussion. I wouldn't take him over Murray for this season, but I think he deserves to be mentioned as, like, a name to watch down the line. 
one guy in the East I think could have gotten in uh, was Jalen Brown um, because the like Boston has dealt with a lot of injuries this season and are and is like still in the race. I think has a lot to do with Jalen Brown's consistency every night. Um, he's currently averaging 24.2 points a game and six and a half rebounds a game, um, and also averaging 3.1 assists. So he's a playmaking small forward who can carry an offense and also shoot threes, um, which I think is an all-star type player. And they put in Chris Middleton over him, which I was pretty surprised about uh, just because Chris Middleton's missed again a bunch of time this season due uh, to injury. And when he's played, he's only averaging 19 points a game and five rebounds. So the stats aren't there. The time played isn't there. And I think Jalen Brown for sure deserved that spot. Um, so I think like that, those, those two are the two that I think really stick out. Um, I would say Jared Allen, because I think he has a case to be an all-star, but like the bigs on the East side are like pretty much solid. Like Jason Tatum, Chris Middleton and, Butler all have cases over him so that's my kind of like initial thoughts and then the east front court is like ridiculous it's Joel Embiid, KD and Giannis like no one's touching those three players so um this year I feel like there isn't as many you know obvious snubs as there have been in past years um but those are the two that I think really like stick out yeah Jared Allen you make a good point Jared Allen was a player for me I thought initially but then looking at the forwards on the reserves to the east it's just kind of that's a lot I mean I understand if you can't put Jared Allen, you kind of want to reward like the Cavaliers for being like, you know, like one of the best teams in the East It's fourth probably right now. So I, I kind of get that having him in there a little bit. I mean, you do kind of leave some, some players out as well. I otherwise, I mean, I feel like people are, what do we think about Draymond? I mean, I probably agree with his inclusion, but I agree. His impact is just, it's just insane. Like I, the stats obviously aren't there compared to other Western Conference frontcourt players, but the Warriors' defensive rating with him on and off the court is like a 16 to 18 point difference. Um, so it's his 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 like presence on the court is like directly related to them winning more games. Uh, and when you're the best team in the West or one of the best teams in the West, along with the Suns, um, and you have one player that has that much influence on your ability to win, I think that he deserves it. I would say, but. There's also the argument of him not being statistically as dominant as an all-star should be. Yeah, see, I, I'm probably in the same boat with you. I'm just kind of – I guess I'm more surprised that, like, he would get enough – I guess the media probably – and media and, and players, I kind of understand, like, how important he is, especially with the Warriors' defense. But I – he's probably always going to be underrated because his statistics aren't going to say that. And I – you know, it's probably where it's his fourth, fourth all-star appearance. So, you know, cementing his legacy, I guess, with this All-Star game. But I, I probably do agree with that, even though it would be a little controversial, I think. Uh, one thing I'll also add, too, is I enjoy the All-Star game, but the game I like more is the Rising Stars game. I think it's more fun to watch because you kind of have the next generation of All-Stars with more to play for. Like, since they're new on the scene, I think they use that opportunity on the national stage to, to like, showcase just their raw talent, like, the, like the, the ability of them as such supreme athletes to kind of shine. And I think uh, one player I think everybody should watch out for as a sleeper to win the MVP of that game is uh, Gary Trent Jr. from the Raptors. I think he's the most underrated player in basketball. It's a big take, but I, his, his, his shooting and scoring ability on a team with a lot of scorers, like Fred Van Fleet, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, Scotty Barnes, like, 
it's it's not a team lacking offensive talent. And over his last six games, he's gone for a total of 177 points. So he can light it up from three, but he's not just a three-point shooter. He's a legit three-level scorer. And I believe in five years, the trade that the Blazers sent him, they sent him to Toronto for Norman Powell. And I think in light of the fact that they just traded Norm Powell to the Clippers, um, I think, you know, he will be someone that we that we look back on as like one of the more lopsided trades ever because the backcourt of him and Anthony, Anthony Simons would be pretty dominant in Portland. So I would say watch out for him in that game. I'm sure Evan Mobley will shine um, as the probable rookie of the year. Kate Cunningham has been much better of late. Um, so I bet he'll have a, a, a breakout game there. And then I think this is also going to be Anthony Edwards' last, uh, I guess, opportunity before he becomes – an all-star uh, to show why, you know, he's one of the best young players in the sport. But to kind of like follow up, I was wondering, this is kind of off topic, but I think it relates to like the idea of the next generation of all-stars. If you could pick one player from the last two drafts, who would you be? Like, like who would you start your franchise with? If you could pick one player from, from the last two drafts, I think there's like four players that have an argument, but I'm interested to see what you guys say. I'd probably still go Cade, I think. I think he's just like the potential there. I, I think Cade Cunningham for me is still going to be the person. I mean, there've been some growing pains. I know a little bit, but I, I think the potential still there. I think he's going to be dominant in a couple of years. Yeah. yeah this that's is a guy tough that I one. think oh, that's on the list. Sorry. Go ahead. Gab. Yeah. This is a tough one. Um, it's, it's a tough thing to start a franchise with just one player because, you know, you look at a, at a guard like Trey young and that would be great to have, but, um, who would you say, Andrew? I think it's between um, – there's an argument to be made for LaMelo Ball, Anthony Edwards, Cade Cunningham, and Evan Mobley, with I think Scotty Barnes also has, like, a stake in it, but I don't think he's on the level of those four players. I'd probably take Evan Mobley right now um, of those four, even though I love Anthony Edwards to death. I think he's just such a special player. Like, his defense, he's already the best defensive player – on the, a Cavs team that is 12 games over 500 and he's averaging 17 points a game, I think on like eight or nine rebounds. So the fact that he's doing this at 20 years old, I think he could be like, there's, there's not a single big man in the NBA like him. Um, and I, I like say that not that there's no players better than him. Cause obviously there are, but his ability, like he basically is like, a combination of Carl Anthony Towns on offense and then also like the best defensive player who can guard point guards and the other team's best player. So I think he's definitely, I think the most impactful player, like you, you, you see what his presence has done for the Cavaliers to be in the position that they are as a playoff team. Like I think it's just like directly related to him being on that team. Kate, I think has an argument as well because of his creation skills and playmaking skills at six, eight from the wing. I don't see him as much of a defensive game changer as Evan Mobley. And I think Evan Mobley is just, just as high as an offensive ceiling as Kade does. So I would definitely go Mobley over him. Um, And then, you know, obviously uh, the mellow ball has a case because of this statistical production, but I think Anthony Edwards, um, like he just is the fact that he's doing this at 21 um, at guard for a now winning team. Like I think he, he reminds me of like Dwayne Wade or like Donovan Mitchell, but with more athleticism, which is hard to like say, but he, 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 he's one of the most athletic players in the game and he's backing it up with 
a lot more advanced skills from the perimeter that people expected at this stage of his career. And just, I think those four players, um, if you compare them to any of like the top five players drafted in the last, you know, like eight seasons outside of the big hits, like Luka Doncic, Jason Tatum, Joel Embiid, like I, you, you'd be hard pressed to find better players than them. So I think that's the most, that the fact that they're all going to be playing in one game together, is going to be a ton of fun to watch. Um, and that's a big reason why I just love the Rise of the Stars game is I feel like those young players just have more to play for. But what about um, was John Morant three seasons ago when he was drafted? You're right, John Morant as well. And then also Zion, like if he's, he's like such a wild card right now. Like there's yeah. a question of if he'll you know come back next season because of how injured he is. It sucks. Although but he I think did, he gained like a ton of weight. I saw thirty him. pounds. Yeah, yeah. yeah he looks like a defensive tackle right now, but. I don't know. Like, I think like the argument of you, you would be crazy if you wouldn't go back to that 20, I think it was the 2019 NBA draft. You wouldn't take John ever one. I would take him over Zion hundred percent. So I think, you know, would you take Ja over like Evan Mobley? Maybe probably, but like, you know, I I think Ja relies so much on athleticism that potential. Yeah. When he's in his, you know, small guard athleticism, gets to 30s you might be kind of losing value for sure and plus i it's unfair i think to compare him to russell westbrook because i think jaw's such a better like team player and like playmaker than russ is like people look at the assist numbers for russell and be like oh he's a playmaking point guard when that's not really the case because of how much of the time he has the ball in his hands like i think jaw is able to share the ball so much better than than other players and i think I love the Grizzlies franchise just because of how well they've drafted recently. Like Desmond Bain at pick 30 is just insane. Like that's what I think that's one of the biggest draft steals in the last 10 seasons to get a guy like that Bain who's averaging like 18 points a game on 40% volume and three point shooting at the last pick or like this third to last pick of the first round in a draft that was supposed to be weak. Like, I don't know. That was an amazing pick. So, Lots of uh, reason to watch that weekend, um, but I think it might be time for us to move on to kind of like the main discussion topic of the day, which is the NFL. Um, a lot has happened, you know, since uh, since we've last recorded the retirement of Tom Brady, the AFC, the NFC divisional round championship games, um, a lot of new head coaching hires. But I think for the sake of time, we can kind of jump right to the AFC championship game, which was Chiefs Bengals. Who wants to start off? Because there's just so much to talk about. Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow is, he's the man. He's the coolest guy in the NFL. He is the closest thing we've seen to Tom Brady, I think, since Tom Brady retired like four days ago. But I think he he really is, you know, has that Brady-esque mentality and clutch factor that, um, that I think is just so rare. And I think it just, you know, the fact that he's able to, he's in this position as the first number one pick to lead his team to a, Super Bowl in his second season with just the relative like the, the Bengals offensive line is so damn bad and he's doing this with so little time and so much pressure every every snap like I just think it's so special I don't know about you guys yeah his ability to handle the pressure I think is really what was able to you know what allowed them to come back in the game because that offensive line which once we get towards kind of the Super Bowl talking about that a little bit talk about a little more but yeah, and he was just under pressure like a ton, and I mean, made some just incredibly clutch plays um, throughout the game. I mean, having Jamar Chase as a weapon 
you know, is, is a great thing to have. And their burgeoning partnership is going to be dominating the league for years to come for sure. And I mean, just incredible resilience to be able, I mean, down 21-3 to Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs is just a, a terrible spot to be in and able to come back from that. Um, and, you know, the defense has come up big in overtime and just an absolutely, you know, in very clutch interception um, that, you know, lost the coin toss in overtime, but still able to, to, to come back and, and win it. And, you know, Ethan McPherson, the rookie kicker, is, uh, you know, definitely a, a, a hot name too. Oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah, no, and it's crazy because that interception that they had that ultimately helped them win the game was the second one in a row. Remember the one right before it that he dropped? Um, I, I forget who, who it was dropped. And so they had two chances to have an interception to win the game, uh, which just got, kind of shows how much Patrick kind of choked at the end there. Um, but I, I still believe in him, but it, he really didn't pull through. Um, but yeah, just I feel so spoiled. Um, for the NFL in the past uh, uh, few rounds of the playoffs, it's just been remarkable, the games that we've had, how close they've been and um, how the stars have been able to shine through. But, you know, it just goes to show how the NFL is just goaded as far as most entertaining sports. I, I don't know if you guys would agree, but um, it's always entertaining. It was crazy, crazy weekend. Yeah, I mean, I... That, that uh, you know, Chiefs game was just so crazy because um, the Chiefs, like, assumed that they won the game when they won the coin toss um, because of just the script from the week before with the Bills. Um, but, like, you know, Jamar Chase, I think, has catapulted himself into a discussion. He's already in that top five receiver in the game, just a discussion. Um, T. Higgins, I think, is super underrated because of the presence of Chase, but I think he's a game changer on the other side of the ball. Um, six five can run like the wind. Tyler Boyd's a great glue guy. Like their offense is just so great, just like like skill wise, and their defense stepped up so big in that second half. Like Eli Apple making that tackle on Tyree Kill before the end of the first half that prevented the Chiefs from scoring. I think was the difference in the game. Like the Chiefs punched that in there. It's twenty eight to ten going into half. Which is just like probably would have been too much for the Bengals to overcome, but that stop and then their ability to pretty much shut Patrick Mahomes out with the exception of that late field goal was like borderline impossible. So huge, huge credit to them. Um, you know, I just keep thinking to myself with this AFC contention window, like if I'm Aaron Rodgers, why the hell would I want to go to the AFC when there's five quarterbacks under 25 that are yearly MVP candidates, like Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, like, that's the NFL. That's the NFL of the next 15 seasons is those five players. Um, you, you can maybe make an argument for Kyler Murray or Dak Prescott in the NFC, but like the AFC just has so much young elite quarterback talent. Um, and the margin for error when you have players that good is just so small when you're a defense. Um, it's just like so much fun to watch. And I think we're so lucky to have guys like that leading the next generation of football, especially with legends like Big Ben and Tom Brady retiring this year um but yeah i just think you know it's going to be very interesting to see how teams who don't have those five players like even the patriots like 
no no disrespect to Mac Jones, but he's not those five quarterbacks. Like he needs a lot of things around him to go right to be a, a good player. And I think like making the Super Bowl from the AFC is going to be nearly impossible if you're not one of those five teams for like the next six seasons. Because as I said, all those guys are under the age of 25. So we'll see how this goes. But but like you said, Kevin, like football is just the best. Such an amazing team game. So much fun to watch as a fan. Like. And I just think that, you know, we were so lucky to have games like that um, be as good as they were. I think the last six playoff games have been decided by one touchdown or less. So I personally can't wait for this Super Bowl. I know we'll get to the NFC Championship game, but, like, it really is anybody's game. Like, I wouldn't call the Rams, like, a slam dunk super team. Like, they've, they've, they've like, struggled against mediocre competition this season. The Bengals – you know, they're a team of destiny. I, I hate to say it, but, like, they've defied the odds every single week. They've gone into Arrowhead. They've taken out the number one seed in the AFC. You know, like, they, they took care of business against home against the Raiders. Like, they have the quarterback. They have the defense. They got Jamar Chase. Like, I, things can happen. And I think people people calling the Rams locks for, for uh, this Super Bowl, I think, might get spurned. Because I personally, I'm taking Bengals. Yeah, I was just going to add to your point there on uh... – on Aaron Rodgers not wanting to go into the AFC, and especially now that his nemesis, uh, Tom Brady, is retired. It's, you know, one less thing to worry about um, as far as trying to get to a championship game, which he struggled to do. Um, but I just wanted to point out how unpredictable um, the just getting to the Super Bowl has been in the past five, ten years, and it just, again, shows to the brilliance of the game of football. You know, last year we had Tampa Bay and Kansas City. If you told me Tampa Bay was going to be in the Super Bowl, you know, five years ago, I would have laughed at you. Um, and then the year before Kansas City, and but, like, you look at teams like San Francisco was there, Philadelphia was there, like, four years ago, and now they're shit in the bed right now. Atlanta was there. Um, Carolina versus Denver, you know, just things like this happen um, where teams seesaw and they they do great one year and then they just go to shit. But um, it's just amazing how the Bengals out of all teams are in the Super Bowl now. And, you know, just I can't wait to see, you know, what, what it's going to mean for the next five years of football. But I know that it's pretty unpredictable as all. Yeah, speaking of, I guess we can move on to the, the NFC Championship game a little bit. Another team that made a, a pretty big move this past offseason with the Rams, you know, trading Matthew, for Matthew Stafford. And there's a lot of talk of being there. I mean, the Rams are a, a big team that's kind of just traded all their draft picks away. I mean, they traded for Von Miller during the season as well. And I, they it ended up working out in the end. I mean, they made it to the Super Bowl, um, you know, beating the 49ers, a game that was a little bit less entertaining on the offense side of the ball, but still came down to the wire a little bit. I mean, the Rams defense really kind of shut down the Niners for a lot of the game. I mean, Jimmy G is not is looking like his career in, in San Francisco is going to be over after this game. And, you know, it's hard to not look at the 49ers and, and you know, just be worried about what's going to happen. I mean, not worried, but kind of excited about their prospects for a season under a different quarterback because, I mean, the, the skill talent they have, it's just incredible. I mean, D.O. Samuel's probably a top five, six receiver this, you know, going forward. I mean, his just versatility is, is incredible, especially with a guy like 
Kyle Shanahan leading the offensive play calling. If you have a quarterback who can be less of a passenger in the offense, I mean, they're going to be dangerous down the road as well. And you look at the Rams, I mean, they're a dangerous team as well. I mean, looking kind of at their prospects, their, their defense is just, especially their defensive line, I think is going to be a big piece of what could happen in the Super Bowl going ahead. And, you know, I, they, they're just a, a solid team that has had some bumps over the year, but has ended up where they intended to be at the beginning of the year and what their kind of managerial moves suggested they should be. So, um, yeah, that's kind of my take on the NFC. Yeah, like I, like uh, Debo Samuel is just like one of the most unique players I think the league has seen in quite some time. Um, he, he's like simultaneously a top 10 running back and top 10 receiver in the league, which is like, I don't know if we've ever seen a player that versatile at least in the modern game, like I, he, it's almost hard to like rank him among receivers. Cause like, he just does a lot of different things that most receivers can't do. I think having him in Kyle Shanahan's offense is just great for the sport. Um, I don't know. I thought that uh, the biggest part of the game was when the Niners failed to get that third and two at midfield when they like rolled Trent Williams out and they gave the body use check up the middle and he got stuffed. McVay, like it was almost like Kyle Shanahan, and like Sean McVay were trying their hardest to lose the game out for each other. Cause Sean McVay used his last time out with like 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter, challenging a call that didn't really matter because it was fourth down anyway. Um, and instead of using that um, to their advantage and then going for it, the Niners, they ended up punting the ball, uh, which then gave the ball back to Matthew Stafford. He threw a terrible pass downfield, which uh, Jaquiski Tart, Draw, like it was the easiest interception I think I've ever seen. Like it was right in his head. He didn't have to move. There was nobody around him. Went right through his hands. The, the Rams ended up scoring a touchdown after that. And uh, you know, that that was the game, in like my opinion, is like um those those small things, those small coaching decisions really matter in this kind of a scenario when there's just so much talent on the field. I'm glad the Rams won though, because I think the best team did win. Um Odell Beckham, I think, has answered any questions about him being the problem on the Browns, uh, considering he has been a total difference maker for the Rams, like had over a hundred yards receiving, um, was a complete game changer on the outside next to Cooper cup. Um, but yeah, like the Rams, I just, I admire what they've done. It's like, they just have gone completely against the grain, uh, and went all in, like they don't have a first round pick till 2026. So it's like, they, they traded everything that, that they had. They get the best active roster they could for this season. And those players are like, you know, showing up the, the players that they gave up big money for Von Miller, Jalen Ramsey, Matthew Stafford, like all this draft capital that they've, that they've traded has, as you know, if, if they win next Sunday, it was all worth it because of the risk they took and the faith that they had in their guys. So I, I love the fact that they want, I think they definitely deserve that win. Um, and now it kind of turns to the Niners is like, what do you do with Jimmy G? Because, it wasn't as though Garoppolo was bad in this game. Like throughout the game, he was kind of like doing what he didn't done all, you know, playoffs where he wasn't making any game changing throws, but he was taking care of the ball, getting the ball into a Debo Samuel's hands. But that last drive was just terrible. Like he had no creativity. He couldn't escape the rush uh, and he threw a backbreaking pick to lose the game. And I think that's probably the last time we see him in a Niners uniform. It's tough because, like, if uh, you're the Niners, you're like, well, I traded two first-round picks for Trey Lance, so we have to, you know, play him. But 
they almost were able to make it to the Super Bowl with with like Jimmy G as their quarterback. So is it an upgrade or is it kind of a, a risk of of uh, getting worse? But we'll see how it all plays out. Bottom line is uh, we have a lot of good young players. Um, I think the Rams are probably the best team in the NFC if you were to rank them right now. Um, the Bengals I wouldn't put over the Chiefs or the Bills, but I think it's going to be a ton of fun to see Matt Stafford uh, get a win, his first Super Bowl, or Joe Burrow kind of complete this like Cinderella comeback. Either way, I think fans are going to be happy with it, um, and I can't wait for next Sunday. Yeah, I agree with what you guys were saying. And, you know, if you're the 49ers, you know, obviously everyone, the general consensus is that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be out the door at the end of the season. But, like, this was not an unsuccessful season by any means. And, you know, they were looking like they were going to head to the Super Bowl, um, you know, and starting at the fourth quarter. And then the Rams shut them out in the fourth quarter, 13 to nothing. And so if you're, if you're the 49ers, why would you, why would you try to fix something that's not broken? In my opinion, I say you keep Jimmy Garoppolo and you just try to run it back next year. I know it's, you know, you're not pushing them over the edge, but what else are you going to do? Like sell out and do what the Rams did and just try to get a Super Bowl in the next year or two and just sacrifice your entire future. I think you just kind of use what you have and, you know, hope that you can break through again, like they did a couple years ago um, to get to the Super Bowl. Um, Cause honestly, successful season, you know, they got past a lot of really good teams in the NFC and, um, the fact that they were able to do that, I don't think it's worth uh, trying to fix. I guess, yeah, for you know, sure, I agree. Do we want to look at to the Super Bowl now and kind of give our our predictions? Yeah, I'm cool with that. I like I said, I think it's gonna be the Bengals. I, I doubted them every single week, um, but I'm going Bengals money line. Um, I think Joe Burrow is like if 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 they're able to go into Arrowhead, uh, you know, take down the Chiefs, go into the number one team in the AFC, the Titans, and win. Who's to say they can't go to a neutral site in L.A. Um, and take down a worse quarterback in Matthew Stafford? I, I, I think they got the playmakers to do it. Um, they're playing great at the right time. And I just think that, that there's a certain magic around the Bengals that is hard to, like, quantify um, that's going to carry them. But I uh, I am going to go Bengals money line for sure. I think, I think it's going to be the Rams who pull it out in the end. I mean, the, the point – of emphasis for me is the defense, the Rams defensive line versus the Bengals offensive line, the Bengals offensive line, which is gave up a 24.2% pressure rate this season compared to only 16.6% for the Rams. So a pretty significant def- difference along that offensive line and combine that with just a pretty, you know, staunch competition in the Rams who are just going to, who are going to force a lot of pressures. And I, I think that's going to be the point of difference because looking at these teams, there's not, a ton to distinguish them. I mean, you've got two strong quarterbacks who are kind of, you know, very sim- decently similar profiles. Joe Burrow is generally, you know, more accurate, especially like when you look at like expected completion percentage. Joe Burrow is frequently more accurate than Stafford, although Stafford has more touchdowns on the year, um, who both rely on kind of number one options a lot, who take up a lot of their pers- like target air yards and have solid defenses overall. I think the offensive line for the Bengals is kind of the major point you know, point of difference between the two teams. And I think that could be the area, unless Joe Burrow puts on just 
an incredible performance. I think that's the point for me where I think I'd take them. I'm going to agree with you, Noah. I think that the Rams are going to pull this one away. Um, and it, I'm rooting for the Bengals, but I just think when I look at every aspect of the game, um, they're just one-upping uh, the Bengals. I, I think that Matthew Stafford is, you know, playing a little bit better. Um, and I think that, you know, just as far as receivers, Odell and Cobb have been top-notch, and then you look at their defense and there's no holes there. And, uh, and then the coaching, I think um, it is going to – I think Sean McVay is going to lead them to a championship, but I hope it's just as good of a game as the past few ones have been. And I think that it will be. And I'll tell you, I'm rooting for Joe Burrow to, to win a championship. Yeah. I mean, talent wise, I think you guys both got like the Rams have incredibly talented roster on both sides of the ball. I think it's going to come down to like, can the interior offensive line of the Bengals block Aaron Donald? Cause if they can, limit him or like run plays away from him kind of scheme the game around stopping him I think they definitely have a chance considering the playmakers they have on the outside like obviously Jalen Ramsey will be on um Jamar Chase and I don't expect Chase for that reason to have like a 200 yard game um but I do think it's going to come down to like can the rest of the Rams secondary take out guys like Tyler Boyd and T Higgins because I, I think with the attention that Jamar Chase kind of commands, like T Higgins is going to have like a lot of one-on-one opportunities against guys like Darius Williams who aren't as good as Jalen Ramsey. And I think if Joe Burrow can find a way to get the ball in his hands, if Joe Mixon can be like, you know, averaging four yards a carry, get them into a lot of like third and shorts, I think they could definitely um, make some noise, but, uh, or I could be totally wrong or Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald could just completely wreck the game. Um, so, but we'll see, like, either way, it's going to be a ton of fun. I love that it's kind of fresh blood and not, you know, just a rerun of the Chiefs every year. So, yeah, I thought uh, it was going to be Chiefs-Packers, so I'm happy that it's not. That's all I can say. I guess we can we can move quickly on here uh, to Tom Brady, do a little blurb on him. I Obviously, there's not much to say. Uh, greatest, greatest, like, greatest NFL player of all time has an argument of greatest athlete of all time. Um, you know, you can put in like greatest competitor. Uh, there's not much more to be said other than the fact that he like had three different Hall of Fame careers, one, um, three Super Bowls after he was 40 years old. It's just like stupid. Um, I, I think, you know, the goat, GOAT debates are always hard because there's a lot of players that have arguments, especially like in the NBA, the MLB. But I think you ask anybody and Tom Brady is pretty much the unanimous greatest football player ever. And uh, it's going to suck not having them out there on you know, next next year's Sundays. Yeah, this one is obviously very close to my heart as a New England native, but, um, you know, it's just amazing. I was born in the year 2000. Tom Brady started uh, in 2001. And so basically Tom Brady has been playing football my entire life. And, you know, he's just a superhero in Boston. And, um, like, that's all I've ever known was Tom Brady. Um, and so it's pretty amazing now being 21 years old, Tom Brady's finally retiring from the game of football. Um, he's, you know, obviously you mentioned the go debates, but just, just an inspiration. Um, you know, the idea that someone can be the unanimous goat after being picked 199th overall out of, out of Michigan and, um, 
just turning it around and being and being the um, the greatest football player of all time and uh, one of the greatest athletes of all time. It just uh, you know inspiring stuff and uh, wish him all the best after his career. I know it's going to hurt him not to be competing out there, but um, I think that he made the right decision for himself and his family. And uh, I look forward to hopefully having him, you know, maybe he'll do some analysis on, on whatever Fox sports or ESPN or something. Hopefully he'll be around. I'm sure he will be, but, um, but all, all good things there. Yeah. I mean, not much to say around his, his playing career. I mean, talking about kind of his, his post-career prospect, I mean, that's kind of something I was interested in looking into, seeing what he's doing. I mean, reading an article, kind of analyzing his business process, I mean, you look at a guy like Peyton Manning or even like LeBron James in a different sport, they're, you know, their empires over kind of business have, have expanded a ton throughout their playing career. And Tom Brady wasn't super like that in New England. And when he moved to Tampa, his, his kind of his empire, his, his reach and his business has kind of expanded more. I mean, he's always had this, the TB12 brand and kind of his own kind of nutrition, nutritional brand, but he's also started partnering with a lot of different companies and, and promoting a lot of different goods more recently and reading about what a deal might look like between Tom Brady and a kind of broadcasting deal, whether that be, you know, Amazon potentially Fox sports potentially because Amazon now has the Thursday night football broadcast and, reading some analysis, it seems like, you know, he could be leading the entire kind of media industry with a, a deal that could be 20 million, $25 million a year for him as a, as a broadcaster, because Tony Romo right now is like the highest bid announcer at 18 million. And I mean, everybody, you know, everybody knows Tony Romo is that guy, but Tom Brady could, could blow that out of the water potentially. So kind of just keep an eye on he could be going into broadcasting would be setting records if he did and has slowly been building his his kind of business presence and would probably expect that to continue as well oh yeah just to add on i'm gonna read off some stats that are just crazy about tom brady that i found only three teams have more playoff wins than he does like franchises he's won more playoff games at um which is he's won 35 playoffs games uh which is more than 13 other franchises have appeared in by himself. Um, he's a Super Bowl all-time leader in completions, yards, and touchdowns, and it's not really close. Um, no other quarterback played in a Super Bowl after the age of 40. He's played in three. Um, he's played – this is the craziest one for me, is he has played in 18% of Super Bowls, like, combined. So almost one out of every five times he has played in the Super Bowl which as a Vikings fan is just so insane because like that it's, it's more likely for Tom, like for us to even sniff the Super Bowl is like, is, 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 is like a complete miracle. And for him, it's just like a dice roll. Um, he has nearly twice as many postseason passing touchdowns as any other player. Um, he has never had a losing season as in, as a NFL starter. Um, and he was almost twice as old as his right tackle this season. So, like, you can go down the list, and it's like he just is has mind-boggling stats after mind-boggling stats. And I think you're right, Noah, to where this next phase of his life is going to be a lot. I think, like, LeBron's will be when he retires from the NBA to where the Brady brand thing, I think, is going to be around for a long time. I wouldn't be surprised if he buys an NFL team at some point. I, I mean, like, money isn't, like, an issue for him. I mean, his wife makes more than he does, which is insane. Um, 
But uh, I do think, you know, he deserves some uh, time off more than anybody ever. And I think once he decides to come back in the sports realm and like whatever capacity that ends up being, um, he's going to be as successful as he was in the field. So cheers to a great career, Tom. I guess to, uh, to wrap up here, um, we can talk about the next season. Um, NFL coaching hires are underway. A lot of teams have decided uh, their new head coaches. Um, one of them being the Vikings, uh, but I guess we can start elsewhere. Um, the Jaguars just hired Doug Peterson. So what are your guys' thoughts on that? I, I think it's going to be a disaster, but I kind of want to hear what you guys have to, have to think. I mean, it. they were in kind of a weird spot after kind of gambling a little bit with Urban Meyer to where, like, that was – I mean, that was a terrible decision. But, I mean, hiring a guy who has, like, a proven track record has won a Super Bowl and – has worked with, you know, a young quarterback in the past. It could, I mean, it didn't end well with him in Philly, but it, it could work out and it seems more of a, a bit of a safer, uh, definitely on the safer side of things. I think at uh, this time it, they, they've got a lot of work too. So it'll be interesting to see how well this works. Uh, it'll be better than urban Meyer for sure. And I, I kind of, I can understand the reasoning behind it, even if I could understand why people wouldn't like it as much. Yeah. I agree. Swan. I mean, I don't think it's a bad move. I think, you know, Doug Peterson is shown to be a quality coach, but um, I don't think it's going to be the breaking point that pushes the Jags um, past the slump that they've had in the past, you know, whatever, seven or so years since they lost to the Patriots in the AFC championship game. Uh, they were good that year, but, you know, I think it's going to take a lot more time um, and a lot more development. Trevor Lawrence and, um, putting some pieces around him if they're going to decide that he's going to be the one to carry their team. But uh, I don't dislike the move. Uh, yeah, and then also uh, teams like the Las Vegas Raiders, uh, they hired Josh McDaniels from uh, the Patriots. I thought it was, considering the context of their team, I thought it was a pretty awful move. Uh, I, I think the team was very emotionally invested in Rich Pasekia. Um, their old head coach, the fact that he was able to lead them to the playoffs, considering all the distractions they had, I think bringing him back was pretty logical. Um, the players wanted it. Um, he's known as a very emotional leader. So bringing in Josh McDaniels, who's like a noted, like non people person, I think was a weird move on their end. Um, there's no doubt Josh McDaniels is a good extras and nose guy. Like he's going to be able to scheme a lot of things open for Derek Carr. Um, but just a weird move, in my opinion, to move on from a guy like Pasekia to where you got your franchise players like Max Crosby, uh, Derek Carr, Josh Jacobs saying that they want this guy back and you go out and you get the polar opposite guy just, just because he's part of Bill Belichick's coaching tree. So that was a bit confusing to me. Um, I, I will spend a minute here talking about the Vikings hiring Kevin O'Connell from the Rams. Um, I actually – so I – I, I, I like initially hated it. I was very disappointed when we didn't hire Jim Harbaugh from Michigan, considering all the smoke there was around it. Um, I kind of attached myself to the idea of his record as an NFL head coach. He's 44 and 19 over his career as an NFL head coach. Uh, you know, a big name hire for a team that's in desperate need of a switch up. I was really psyched about it. Um, but the more I like thought about it, the more it didn't make sense because the issues with Mike Zimmer um, when he was our head coach wasn't the fact that he was not winning. Like he had a 
all-time winning record as the coach of the Vikings. It was more players were tired of like his outdated style of leadership to where he wouldn't give players recognition, would treat them like a high school football team at times, which would alienate players. Um, so like it was more of a cultural problem. And I think Jim Harbaugh is the same kind of coach to where he instills this cultural standard, um, this hard hard nosed way of, you know, coaching that I think would have rubbed players the wrong way. Um, that I think that his, his, his coaching style, I think works a lot better in college to where you're able to coach young men and it's not players making a living. Um, so that combined with the fact that we would have had to pay a contract pretty much identical to John Gruden's, which was an hundred million dollar deal for him. I think with the amount of question marks that were around him, we, we made the right decision to not kind of like invest everything in him as our head coach, um, which was a lot different from what I you know thought of at first, considering I, I did want it when the news were coming out. But I think Kevin O'Connell was a good fit. I, I think uh, of the guys out there transitioning to an offensive minded coach with an with like an innovative offensive scheme is the best way to get the most out of Justin Jefferson and ensure that he's happy here. Cause at the end of the day, the last thing we want is a, another Stephon Diggs situation to where he's like demanding a trade. Um, you know, Kevin O'Connell is 36 years old. There's a stat that he was taken four years in the draft before Kirk cousins. So he's obviously a very young coach kind of follows the same model as like Zach Taylor, um, with the Bengals, um, uh, Brandon Staley uh, with the Chargers, uh, Sean McVay, all coming from that coaching tree from from Washington. Um, I think it's a good start. I think he's going to be able to borrow a lot of those creative schemes. Uh, but it does, you know, call into question what we're going to do with Kirk Cousins because whenever you bring a new head coach in, you know, he gets to decide who he wants as his quarterback. Um, the fact that we also brought in a, a new GM um, from from uh, from Cleveland, I think kind of numbers Kirk's days. Uh, I personally think he'll return as quarterbacks because of his cap hit next season, but should be very interesting to see how O'Connell kind of moves forward with him at quarterback. There's not a lot of draft prospects. I think that jump out as like initial fits for us. There's no like, you know, Trevor Lawrence type prospect in this draft. So we'll see where we go from here. Um, But at the end of the day, I think the Vikings made the right decision for one, uh, you know, to move away from the drama that Jim Harbaugh would bring, as well as not bring in a defensive coordinator like Todd Bowles or Raheem Morris that would be too similar to a Mike Zimmer-like, you know, coach team. So that was my little spiel on the Vikings. Um, I'm sure they'll let me down in dramatic fashion next season. But, um, yeah, that's that's kind of the current state of uh, the NFL. So, again, super psyched uh, for Super Bowl Sunday. Um, and then uh, from there, the offseason should be a pretty dramatic one. So. With that being said, I think that's all I got. Uh, are there any more notes from from uh, you guys that, that you wanted to touch on? Just real quick, mention how it boggles my mind that Josh McDaniels um, left the Patriots after I assume the whole reason why he turned down that Colts job was that uh, uh, Kraft was just like, yeah, you can have the coaching job after Belichick retires and Belichick's going to be out in a few years or something like that. But clearly he he stayed for a few years and then now he's taking another head coaching job, which just makes that um, last minute decision to pull out from the Colts job even more confusing than it once was. It's a shame that we can't have him on um, the 
Patriots anymore. He was really great for our offense, but um, he deserves to be a head coach in the NFL. I think the one one last team, one team I just want to you know give a props to is the Giants taking in Joe Schoen from the Bills and then proceeding to hire uh, Brian Dable, the Dolphins coordinator there, who has been kind of in the cards as a head coaching candidate for a while now, and I think it's a good high for a team that's kind of been in disarray the past couple of seasons. That, you know, whether Daniel Jones is, you know, the quarterback in the future, probably not. But, yeah, I think Brian Dable is a good hire, and I think they're probably headed in a good direction. Yeah, good point there on uh, the Giants. But I love Dable. I think he's going to be a, just what the Giants need there, uh, kind of like a humble a humble coach that understands, like, the modern game a lot more than Joe Judge did. But um, do we want to talk about Brian Flores just briefly? And his kind it's of like that it's worth mentioning. It's one of the biggest stories of the week. I think it's great. I first of all, just to begin, like I, I think there's no question that there's truth to what Brian Flores is saying, and that there needs to be a change in the way that that African American coaches are viewed in the league, and there needs to be a lot more just general acceptance from from franchises of their validity as head coach candidates. Um, so that's point number one, but. I did think that, you know, like when he was fired from Miami, there was so much like, uh, like just um, shock, which to me was like a lot overblown. Like, let's not forget that Brian Flores is 24 and 25 as an NFL head coach. He's not Bill Belichick. Um, I think like, yeah, the logical answer to that would be like, oh, he was paid to lose games. But there are just like so many things that go into that than just being told to lose, like, Football is a sport where you can't just like not try or you're going to get injured. So like, I, I think like there's just, it's, it's hard to like formulate like an opinion for this for me. Cause I don't know whether I want to like fully believe what he's saying just, just because of how inflammatory everything is. Um, but I also think that like these, these NFL owners are so like arrogant that I, it's not out of the question that they would want to, you know, ask their coaches to actively lose. So hopefully Brian Flores gets uh gets the justice that he deserves. Um, I, I think he's currently in the running for the Texans head coach in jobs. So we'll see if he gets that. But again, just kind of crazy to see like Bill Belichick's like text. Was, <laughs> I don't know. Personally, I, I uh, assume that he would not know how to use a phone. So shocking to see that he was able to send messages on iMessage. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, no, I, I think the whole situation, obviously, um, the, the NFL needs to uh, address the issue of the fact that there's only one African-American coach in um, standing right now. But uh, as far as Brian Flores goes, I think after he got uh, fired, um, you know, the narrative was that there's no question he'll find another uh, head coaching job this year. Um, but there's, this is seriously, and it, this is obviously a serious issue. Um, that he's addressing, which is bigger than football. So, yeah, I think there's a problem you get when you have a bunch of old white dudes running like football and you just kind of have this like boys club at the top of the game where this is just, I mean, this has been happening. It's, it's about time that someone has like stepped. I mean, he, he said he's like risking his career here and that's completely fair, but I'm, I'm sure there's gonna be more stuff that's gonna come out down the line. I mean, the way the Rooney rule is structured, I mean, there obviously has to be changes, but the Rooney rule structure where you have to interview. Uh, minority candidate for head coaching position, I mean, is bound to have been cheated. I'm sure there have been, you know, 
multiple teams that have cheated this role over the years. And I think there's going to be more of that news coming out over the next couple of, of weeks. So it'll be interesting to see how that happens. Props to Brian Flores for stepping. I mean, I, I don't think he was deserved to be fired. And on the side note, I fully buy that John Elway was, you know, hung over for like a meeting with like a head coach. Like I totally buy that from what Same. I'm, yeah. Like that so tracks. Well, it's, it's just like the, the issue is for one, I, it's pretty much common knowledge that, like these NFL owners have no problem with wasting everyone's time um, because they want who they want. Like I'm sure Nathaniel Hackett was the, was the pick just like Brian Dable was the pick, uh, you know, weeks ago, but guys like the Maras guys like John Elway, they don't give a shit about like what everyone else thinks of them. Cause they're so rich and they're like, so um, insulated from reality that like they're able to do whatever they want and treat whoever they want, however they want, just, just, just because there's no real repercussions. So Big props to uh, to Brian Flores for holding these professionals accountable for, you know, just being bad at their jobs and unfair um, to these candidates looking for head coaching jobs. And uh, hopefully, hopefully, people start taking their jobs a little more seriously going forward. Because I think your analogy of a boys' club is a great one. Like I think it's just these one percent owners um, are just so removed from the concept of like equitable hiring practices that um, it that they just have lost touch on what it means to like do a good job at, at like, you know, running their franchise. So, yeah. But yeah, I mean, that, that's all I, I really had to talk about. That was a great show. You guys We've got a lot um, of things in. Um, we'll, we'll be back in action probably after the Super Bowl to recap that game and then update uh, the cats before, um, you know, we start getting more towards March here. March is almost here about a month away. So um Things are heating up and I can't wait to uh, to hear from you guys again. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, thanks. Mm-hmm.